0: Enjoy. Well, welcome, everybody. Really good to be with you. I want to say a special welcome to all you who are joining us online. And, uh, and then I'll say another special welcome since we're rolling out the welcome wagon here. Uh, so special welcome to all you who are joining us, who uh, are new with us, uh, whether you're joining us new online or new here in person. I mean, we've got people that are kind of stepping in with us all the time, and that's just a huge honor for us. So we're really glad that you're here uh, with us. Now, uh, if you weren't here last week, uh, you weren't here when I got to share some, some really special news that uh, we are now beginning the process of launching the Ridge Community Church Franklin Oak Creek Campus. And so we announced that last week, and as a part of announcing that last week, uh, I made a challenge to everyone, and the challenge was, if you live in that area, you know, Franklin Oak Creek, South Milwaukee, Racine, Caledonia, kind of all those areas over there, uh, or if you know someone who does, whether a church person or or not a church person, uh, I wanna encourage you to be a part of what we are calling a launch team. And the launch team is this group of people that will lay the foundation for the future growth uh, of that campus. And so we threw out this challenge and we said, we need a minimum of 100 people to start. Now let, let me just kind of share some good news with you. Now this is, remember, this is just week one. So after week one, we have a little over 100 people who have already stepped in to be a part of that launch team. And so that is just really cool. And what I love about that, yeah, that's great. I mean, that, we celebrate that. And uh, online, you're contributing to that. So it's just, a, it's an all church effort. And uh, we celebrate that because once again, that reminds us that uh, it's, it's mission over preference and that it's people over preference. And uh, so that is just one of those signs that that's just what we do. And, uh, and so I just wanna thank you. You guys are just unbelievably awesome. It's what you do and uh, it's why I just, was honored honor to serve with you. Uh, but I also, because that was week one, I, I wanna just continue to raise the bar and 100 was the minimum, but the more that we can get on that team, just the the better foundation we lay for the future success of that campus. And so, once again, I'm gonna lay out the challenge. If you live in that area online, if you are in that area, you know someone who's in that area, uh, whether, once again, church person or not church person, I want you to become a part of that launch team. And uh, if, if you're interested in that, I want you to text LAUNCH to this number right here, And here's what's gonna happen when you do. Uh, You'll get a form sent to you, and then I just want you to just fill out that form, and then when you send that form back, it'll go to Forrest, who's gonna be the campus pastor of the Franklin Oak Creek campus, and then Forrest will get in touch with you, and he'll talk about, uh, you know, what does it mean to be a part of a team like that, and what are some of the next steps, and how do you get on a communication chain so you can continue to learn and step into, uh, what does it mean to be a part of that. And so if that's you, step in. Uh, And once again, do I lower the bar too much? I mean, man, we raise the bar, and you guys step over it every time. But if you're, if you're in that area, please, 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 launch, text launch to that number. Now, I want to begin by sharing with you uh, what I have, I have coined as life statements that you will commonly hear in the Mark and Donna White household. And these are statements that, uh, that we use and that we use them for our kids. And these are, these are statements where, and this is how I would describe it, okay? These are statements that I want them to remember so they will constantly push back against what I call the status quo of culture. And so I'm going to share with you just, just some of these statements, all right? Now, I don't know if they're original to me, but, you know, hopefully they are. You can take them and then, and then take credit for it. Okay, here's one of them that we commonly use. There's no such thing as can't and won't. And so when one of the kids says, well, I can't do that. I go, mm, mm, You mm, mm, mm. can't say can't and can't say won't. Here's another one. And this was their favorite growing up. Don't follow the masses because they'll turn you into, and they go beep, 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 beep. And uh, they love that one because they knew what the word was, okay, but they knew they couldn't say it, so they'd be, ha, 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 dad, you know, all that stuff. And the idea was, hey, when all the crowd is going this way, don't go the way of the crowd. Uh, here's was, here was another one that I was targeted for uh, my twin boys, and it was how you treat your mom will determine how you treat other women. And so the idea was you just can't flip the respect switch. And so if you can't respect uh, the woman who gave her life to love and raise you, then all of a sudden you aren't gonna go out into the world and treat women any different, especially your wife. And then here's the most important one, dad's always right. And that was the one that we, we said the most. Now the reality is, is that our, our culture has all sorts of meaningful statements uh, that once again, that I, I would bet that, that many of us that we've just used and lived by these things throughout our life. Now Here, here are some of my favorite ones. Uh, you can't judge a book by its cover. You know, don't make snap judgments based on someone's appearance. Uh, here's another one. There's no use in crying over spilled milk. In other words, you know, don't, don't stay upset over something that you can't change because it's already happened. Uh, Here's a a common one, I bet you hear this all the time. It is what it is. In other words, quit trying to control things that you can't control. And then my favorite of all of them is this, Aaron Rodgers can't win the big game. (laughs) Now, today, we are, we are beginning a brand new series called Here and Now, and I'm going to tell you where the name of the series came from in a minute, but what we're going to do is over the, the next eight weeks, that we are going to look at eight, what I call meaningful statements, you would call them life statements, that begin the most famous message that Jesus ever gave. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and these eight statements actually have a name to it. Uh, they're called this. They're called the Beatitudes, or as some people call them, the Being Happy Attitudes, and I'm just gonna warn you up front, this is gonna be a very challenging series because these beatitudes are so counterintuitive to the, the way we think. And so, you know, we're, we're gonna hear some of these and we're gonna go, whoa, I don't know if I can do that or that doesn't make, make a whole lot of sense. And if that's you, that's very normal. But here's the thing. These statements actually deal with three of what I think are the most important questions that, that I, would, I would guess that most people wrestle with at some le- level, whether you would consider yourself a Christian or not a Christian. And here, here are the three questions that they deal with. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Really? And I think this is a, th- this is a question that we have to have an answer to, because if we don't have an answer to this question, then we will just begin to live our lives defining ourselves by all sorts of secondary issues, uh, for the most part. Uh, statistically speaking, Jesus followers' their lives don't look any different than people who don't follow Jesus. In fact, when they do uh, all these re- all this research on what they call lifestyle choices, lifestyle choices would be things like like marriage and sex and pornography and finances and all that good stuff. Uh, a, a followers of Jesus' life look identical, almost identical, to those who don't follow Jesus. In other words, we are building our life on the same foundation. That Jesus is trying to lead us out of. Here's a a second question that the Beatitudes deal with. Well, what is the blessed life? What is the life of meaning and purpose and peace and what does that look like? In the Beatitudes, every statement begins with the word blessed or blessed. And so what what does that mean? What does it mean to be blessed? Our culture, we, we throw around that word all the time. And so, you know, you hear things like, you know, hashtag blessed baby and too blessed to be stressed. And, you know, I'm so blessed. And for the most part, when someone says I am blessed, what they mean is I'm getting what I want or the circumstances are turning out the way I want. And so blessed really is circumstantial but this is not what blessed means. Blessed, for the most part, doesn't have to do with circumstances as it much has to do with what's going on inside of us. And so it's this idea of of happiness and fulfillment. Uh, Some would say it even includes being fortunate about your circumstances in some way. Uh, I love how author Dallas Willard, he he, he describes blessed and he says it this way. He says, it's the highest type of well-being possible for human beings and implied in that, that can only come from God himself. And so the idea is this, is that that we are going to learn how to experience uh, through the Beatitudes what the most fulfilling and purpose-driven life looks like. You know, this is important. And one of the reasons this is important is because for many of us, we follow Jesus. And here's what it kind of looks like for us. It looks like, okay, we believe Jesus died for our sins and then, you know, he rose from the dead and... That's just kind of the extent of it, you know? It's all about the afterlife. But Jesus came, and he came to heal your marriage. He came to set you free from your addiction or bondage. He came to empower your life. He came to give you a purpose that is bigger than any purpose that you could ever live for. So following Jesus isn't just about the afterlife. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is saying, this is all about how you live your life in the here and now. In fact, that's where we got the name of the series. It's how can we experience the blessed life in the here and now? Which leads to the third and last question. Who's going to bring it? That, who's going to bring that about for everybody? Where does that come from? In the Beatitudes, Jesus is going to talk about something that, that, most Christians know very little about, but it's the very thing that Jesus talked the most about. And here's what he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about the kingdom of God, or uh, you often hear it called the kingdom of heaven. The two mean the very same thing. Okay, well, what is that? What's the kingdom of God? Well, it has nothing to do with the afterlife. Here's what the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven means. It's this, it's when what God wants to happen actually happens. It's life as God intended it to be. And so Jesus' teachings aren't just these these random uh, sound bites of wisdom that'll make our life better, even though they'll make our life better. See, these are, Jesus' teachings are intentional truths that are meant to connect us to life in the kingdom of God. Life as God intended it to be, and it's a life that we can experience right here, right now. And so Jesus comes along in the Beatitudes, and he says, hey, I'm the king, and I am bringing you my kingdom if uh, you follow Jesus, one of the biggest struggles that every single one of us has, and it's this. We say we follow Jesus, but the reality is, is that we still live life based on our agenda. We are living our lives and we are building our own kingdom. And Jesus comes along and he says, hey, I'm bringing with you, I'm bringing with me my agenda and my kingdom, and I'm inviting you to be a part of it. And so the Beatitudes aren't these catchy, cute little phrases. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is saying these are the core tenets of life in the kingdom of God. Life is God intended it to be. And so our goal for this series is we're going to learn from Jesus how to actually experience this kind of life. A life that is truly blessed. Now, today what I want to do is I want to look at the first Beatitude. And the first Beatitude is, is by far the most important because we can't experience the rest of them if we don't get this one right. So here's a little background on the Beatitudes. Jesus is about, it's about 30 AD at this time. Uh, Jesus is just, he's just relatively new in his public ministry, he's still gathering his disciples, and he's done some teaching, he's done some healing, and people, are, they're, kind of, they're kind of taking notice of him, and they're, but they're still wondering, who is this guy? I mean, is he a rabbi? Is he a carpenter? Is he Elvis, you know, coming back from the dead? But Matthew, who is one of his disciples, he was there at this time. And Matthew, he records what Jesus said as we call him the Sermon on the Mount. Here's here's how Matthew records it. He says this, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now, I don't know what your mental picture is. Of, of kind of this whole scene here. You know, maybe you see Jesus, and he has this, you know, really nice robe on, and of course, he always has the perfect hair, and there's all these peasants gathered around him, and it's completely peaceful. I mean, there's no cell phones going off, you know, no babies crying in the crowd or, or anything like that. And then it's in this setting that Jesus begins to just drop these wisdom nuggets to everybody, and as he's dropping them, the crowd's going, "Whoa, whoa, whoa wow, Oh, mm, mm, oh, that's good, that's good. Oh, I'm tweeting that. Oh, I'm sending, oh, man, that is good. That's good stuff, that's good stuff. But that's actually not the setting. You see, the crowd that Jesus is talking to is a crowd of, of is a very diverse crowd. They're diverse in their beliefs, diverse in their ideologies, diverse in their expectations. And so there's a lot of tension and a lot of division, very similar to what we are experiencing today. And so Matthew says that Jesus sat down and when a rabbi would sat down, this was like a position of authority for a rabbi. And so it's, he sits down and he's beginning to talk to them about what does the rule and reign of God look like in the world today? And so he starts and then gives us the first beatitude. He said, blessed are. And so there's our word again. He starts it off. Blessed are. You know, it's really easy for us to just kind of dismiss that that we're gonna bless it and all the ones that are gonna follow it and just the sayings that Jesus is gonna put out here. And it's gonna be like, you know what? Those are so simple and yet they're so ancient. But if you go online and you go on social media, you will see that people are still longing for this sense of divine blessing in their lives. Uh, In 2000, in the year 2000, there were actually about 50 books written during that year that had the title of happiness attached to it. In 2008, that went up to 5,000. Now when something goes from 50 to 5,000 in eight years, that is called a trend. Uh, Yale University actually has a class and the class is on the subject of happiness. And it has become the most popular class in the school's history. In fact, the teacher who teaches it He talks about, uh, as he talks with students about why they're taking it, and he says he hears this every single time. He says, the students will say, well, I just want to change in my life. I want to learn how to be happy. I hear that. I'm going like, "You, you got accepted into the most prestigious university on the entire planet, or one of, and you're looking to be happy? I mean, I want you to think about this. As a culture, we have more access to so much. We have more access because of technology and just uh, resources, more access to experiences. But the reality is, is that people are still desperately searching for where does happiness come from? Well, Jesus is gonna tell us. And he says, here's where it comes from. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And when Jesus said that, the crowd that was listening would have thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, okay, you're going to talk to us about the kingdom of God, and and that's what you gave us? Poor in spirit? No one was expecting that. Poor in spirit. Okay, Jesus, what is poor in spirit? Well, there's been a lot of of discussion about what poor in spirit means over the years, and so there's some options that we can go with when we think about what, what it is. You know, one of the options, we hear poor in spirit, here's what we think. It means, you know, material poverty, that he is saying, blessed are you when you're poor. That God is against wealth and he's against stuff. And the reality is, is that God does show a bias to those those who are poor. And I think that has an implication for us. But that's not what Jesus means here. You know, it could also mean this. It could also mean the absence of self-worth. And this is the whole idea that we have this, what I call a self-loathing mindset, which you'll see uh, a a lot of times with with people who are religious, people who follow Jesus. And the self-loathing mindset is, oh, I'm just a horrible person oh, I'm just awful, woe is me. And we constantly denigrate the self because uh, we think that God's actually attracted to that whole mindset. If you've been around here any period of time, you've heard us say this, that the value of something is based on what someone else will pay for. And Jesus paid for us with his life. So it's in the death of Jesus that we see that we are all of the utmost value to God. So it doesn't mean that. So then what does it mean? Here's what that word poor means. It means this. It means to shrink, to cover, or to cringe. So here's what Jesus is really saying in the first beatitude. He's saying this. He's saying happiest is the person. And remember, this is the first one, so it's got to start here. Happiest is the person who realizes they are completely destitute, utterly helpless, who realizes their absolute need for God. I was trying to come up with an image that would really capture what Jesus was saying here, and the only image I could come up with is the image of a newborn. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, one of our, our staff people, uh, a staff team, she uh, became a grandma. Uh, for the very first time and a very young grandma at that. And so she brought in her, her granddaughter for the very first time. And so she's, you know, she's holding her granddaughter, having a lot of fun and cute as all get out. And, uh, and so as, as she's holding her granddaughter, uh, me and some other staff members there, and so she goes, here, hold her. And so I love kids, okay, and I love babies. And so I'm holding, having a little fun and all that stuff, playing with her. When someone goes, man, Mark, you're gonna make a great grandfather. I handed that baby back and I said, you're fired. You never say that ever again. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But the idea is, the idea is, is, is I want you to think of, a, think of a newborn, and what is the what's the posture of a newborn? A newborn is completely dependent on their mother and their father for all of their needs. And so, when Jesus starts off with this first beatitude, he's saying, "Let me give you some perspective of how things look from God's eyes. We are the newborn." And we are completely dependent on God for all our needs. And you know what? When we get to that posture, that is the best place. That is the happiest place that we could be. In other words, happiest are those who understand that they are completely dependent on God's mercy and grace every single day. Now, here's the big challenge with this. Nobody, I mean nobody, wants to be in this this place of dependence. I mean, we we do our best to get out of any place of dependence like this. And as a result, most people, they don't experience or don't have poverty uh, poverty of spirit. What they have is middle class of spirit or elite of spirit. And both of these come with huge challenges. You know, the challenge of having a middle class of spirit is being middle class, And there's nothing wrong with being middle class, but sometimes it can be the mindset that comes with middle class, and here's the mindset. The mindset is, I'm entitled. And the reason I'm entitled is because, well, you know what, I've earned everything I have. And so the reason why we don't show compassion on other people or a little mercy on other people is because, well, I've done it. So why can't you? Well, listen, God, look at my life. Look at the life I've built. But then there's the elite of spirit. And the challenge with the elite of spirit is that the elite of spirit is I don't give a rip about what others and God thinks about me because you know what? I want to be the God of my life. And so you know what? I want to run the show. I want to call the shots because life is all for me and about me. The root of both of these is something unfortunately I am very, very good at. And that is this right here pride. Pride. Now in our culture, we don't talk about pride a whole lot, except we talk about it in a good sense. You know, we say things like, you know, uh, we take pride in where we came from, or we have pride in our family and in our kids. But here's what pride means. Here's the definition of pride. Pride is not thinking too much of myself. Pride is thinking of myself far too much. It's the disease of I and me. Well, I can fix that. I'm strong enough to overcome that you know what? I can write a better story in my life than God can. I, I, me, me. You know what? I really don't need God. A few years ago, I was reading this this really fascinating article in Time Magazine, and it was called The the Me Generation. And the whole article uh, was talking about how cell phones are turning us into narcissists because we're always thinking about, you know, what are other people thinking of me? Let me show you this picture. So there's a, there's a term psychologists are using, and maybe you've heard it before, it's called the spotlight effect. And what the spotlight effect is all about, and they usually use it to apply to teenagers, the spotlight effect is all about how, how teenagers have become very self-conscious. And the reason that they're self-conscious is because they think that everybody is, is thinking about them. And so they're, they're constantly thinking about this. But if you've ever been around teenagers before, or if you have ever walked down the street, you know, in downtown Milwaukee and you've seen teenagers before, you know that that's not the case. You know, that they aren't thinking about them. This picture, really what's going on is that everybody is just thinking about themselves. And so the spotlight effect, the reality is, is that spotlight effect, it doesn't just relate to teenagers. I think there's an adult version of the spotlight effect. Uh, there's another term that, that psychologists are, are using. It's becoming a lot more popular. And this is a, it's a great, great term. Look at this word right here. Uh, narcissistic injury. How do you like that one? Like, hey, I have narcissistic injury, you know? Even if someone diagnosed that to me, I'm like, I am not saying a word on that one, you know? I'm keeping that to myself. And so they're, they're using this phrase more and more and more and more. And here's the definition of this. So this is a great definition. You'll love this. A narcissistic injury occurs when narcissists, which remember, they're saying, you know, the more we use our cell phones, we're seeing that this is happening more and more and more and more, react negatively to perceived or real criticisms or judgment. So you, someone comes up to you and they actually, you know, they, they love you, but they really are pointing out something that's wrong. You know, don't judge me. Don't you judge me. Boundaries placed on them. I can do whatever I want to do and or attempts to hold them accountable for harmful behavior. You know, so I do something wrong, but I think nothing should happen to me that's wrong. In other words, no consequences allowed. Or it says the Old Testament book of Judges says time and time again, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And I always add this, because their own eyes are all that matters. Now, it doesn't matter, you know, how do you define it? The bottom line is, it's all pride. And pride is the enemy of life in the kingdom of God. Because it's attributing to oneself the honor and glory that only God deserves. It's why, when you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, the entire Bible, you will see God can't stand a prideful spirit. Here, here's some examples, and just notice the just notice the strong language. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And listen to this: You got to be. I hate pride. Well, I thought God was loving. Yeah, because He's loving. He is going to hate pride because he knows the damage and devastation that pride does for our life. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Here's another one. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Now, if that's not encouraging enough, let me just throw one more on you, okay? Just so inspire you even more. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Now, I don't know about you, but life is difficult enough. The last thing I want is God working against me. You see, the reality is we think we're self-made people. But here's what I want you to think about. We had no say when it came to our strengths and weaknesses. And we had no say to our ethnicity, our country that we were born in, to the family that we were born in. We had no say to just the gifts and abilities that we have. You see, the reality is is that we need more help and got more help from a providence outside of us than we'd like to admit. But the good news is this. If we would just embrace that reality, we get to experience the second part of Jesus's beatitudes. And every beatitude has a second part. And the second part is always, here's how this benefits you. Here's what the second part is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says, hey, it's quite simple. Listen, if you want access to the kingdom of heaven, then you can't be the king of the kingdom because the kingdom of heaven is defined by a culture of humility in contrast to the brokenness of our world, which is defined by the culture, by a culture of pride. Now, here's where this gets challenging for all of us. We can't see pride in our own lives. In fact, here's why I want you to think about pride a little bit. We can't see pride because pride by its nature blinds us from it. If you've ever been around a, a really prideful person, I mean, this person is just full of themselves. And uh, you know, they're talking about themselves and they're the center of everything. It's like, okay, everybody else can see it and, and wants, wants nothing to do with them. But it's like, why do they keep going? Why? Because the more prideful they are, the more they love themselves. And it just kind of keeps going and going and going and going. And if we do recognize any sort of pride or arrogance in us, we just kind of minimize it. We're like, oh, it's not a big deal. You know, it's not really hurting anybody. So let me meddle with you a little bit. And I'm gonna meddle with you by this question. Uh, do you see any of this in yourself, okay? So I'm gonna give you a couple questions, and then I just want you to see, do you see any of this in yourself? And listen, I don't want you to raise your hand, okay? I mean, you, know, you, you might wanna raise your hand, I wouldn't, okay? And don't raise the hand of the person next to you as well when I go through these questions. So here, here, here's a couple of questions, and just see if these, these settle in with any of you. Is there anyone you think is not worthy of your time? I mean, you see that person and you're like, you pretend you're not there or you go somewhere else. I mean, is there anyone that's not worthy of your time? Here's another one. Do you ever get offended when someone asks someone else to do something when they should have asked you? And you just, that's, that's offensive to you. If you're a man, do you get particularly defensive about something pointed out to you by a woman? Women, I'm not going to leave you out. If you're a woman, do you get particularly defensive about something pointed out to you by a man? Do you ever hear about another person's problems and feel better about yourself because it didn't happen to you? That's ever happened to you before? When hearing someone tell a story, are you waiting for your name to be mentioned or included in the story? Now, this is so crazy. This happened to me a couple weeks ago. So I'm at this event, and it was this really prestigious event, and, uh, and the person that the event was for, uh, myself and our church, really invested a lot in, and it wasn't going to happen w- without all that. And so we're with this crowd, this group of people and some really important people, city officials and all that stuff in Milwaukee, and uh, this person begins to tell the story of how all this came together. And inside, I'm going, oh, <laughs> he's going to drop my name bomb right here. I mean, it's coming. It's coming. I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and it never happened. And I left there, and I was like, I mean, I was mad that he, didn't, that he didn't drop it. So I don't know if that's ever happened to you before. That's happened to me maybe, maybe once other than that. If at any point, last one, during the message, did you think, so glad pride isn't an issue for me, but I know who should hear this. And see, here's the thing about pride. Pride, we think, makes us bigger, but it actually makes us smaller because it causes us to look down on people. We can't say I'm sorry for things, and it really shows just how insecure we are. So, if the kingdom of heaven is all about a culture of humility, then here's the question we need to ask. How do we choose humility? And from my experience, here's the thing, we can either choose it or God will be kind enough to eventually give it to us. And here's what I found. Choosing it is a much better path. And so here's what I wanna do with just the few minutes I have left. I wanna give you two words that'll help you down the path of choosing humility. And in the process, God will use to just develop this, this poverty of spirit that we are talking about. And here, here are the two words. Two words are this, kneel and yield, kneel and yield. See, it always got a rhyme, okay? Kneel and yield. Now let's go through the first one. First one is, is, it's kneel. The reality is, is that when we think about all the things that we don't have control over, the logical conclusion is this, God, I really need you. There's a, um, there's, a, there's a great prayer that was developed centuries ago and it was developed for, to just teach people how to pray that had just stepped into to the faith. And uh, it's, this, it's prayer and it's still taking hold centuries later. Here, here's what the prayer is. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what's great about this prayer is it ascribes glory to who to it's due, which is Jesus. It allows us to ask what we all need, which is mercy. And then this word sinner here, sinner just means someone who's missed the mark. And so we declare reality. I just constantly miss the mark in my life. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. So we're, we're going to pray this together, okay? I'm going to count to three. And online, I want you to do this with me. We're going to count to three, and then we're all just going gonna to say this out loud together. Ready? One, two, three. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Yeah, I just want to encourage you. Just Take time and pray that at certain parts of the day. And what's gonna begin to happen is you're just, you're gonna develop a posture of kneeling and a posture of kneeling is this. It's recognizing, God, I really do need you. But then there's a second part, which is yield. And what I've found about, about pride is pride is a lot like a muscle that needs to be exercised. If left alone, it atrophies. Humility also atrophies. And so what we need to do is we need to develop, because of that, some daily practices that'll help us yield to God and yield to other people. And so here's how we yield to God. And we yield to God, it all just really comes down to this. It's be committed to doing his will, not your will. Now here's what often happens, and this happens to all of us, okay? It's, okay, we know that God wants things one way, we want things another way, and then here's what we do. There's clashing, There's tension, and here's what we do most of the time. You know who wins the clash? We do. And then here's why we do that. We want God to begin to come alongside of us and begin to build our kingdom, to do things our way. And do you know why we do that? At the core, it's pride. It's we think we know better. We think we can do better. We want control of our lives. And so one of the ways that we can begin to, to do this in our life, I just want to challenge you with one question. What's just one area of your life? Do you need to yield to God? What's the one area? And you know you already know what it is. And here's what I want you to do. Just decide in advance that you're gonna let God win the battle for you. Just one area. Now, when we yield to God, that's great, but we also have to yield to other people. And yielding to other people, it can be really tough because, you know, we all have difficult people in our life, which makes it very difficult. So let me just give you just some few practical ways that you can yield to other people. Here's some practical ways you can do that. Let them go first. And don't tell them you're going first. You know, like I did the dishwasher for my wife today and she didn't know. I didn't go, hey, honey, I just want to let you know I did the dishwasher for you today. You know, don't tell them, you know, that that you went first. Here's another one. Ask where everyone else wants to eat, you know, instead of going like, oh, you know, I want to eat here, I want to do this. No, no, just let, let everybody else go. Uh, these next two are, are, are really tough for, for guys. Uh, if someone joins you to watch a game or show, hand them the remote. Some of you, some of you guys are like, God forbid that, I'm never going to do that, you know? Yeah, I mean, that, that, do that. Here, here's another one that we struggle with, guys. Let your wife drive. This is a big one for me. I never let my wife drive. I'm gonna be honest. She's a terrible driver. She's not here, so I can say that. She is an awful driver. So, for some of you guys, it's going to be like, you know what? I'm going to let her drive and I'm going to yield to God. Lord God, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on her, too. All right, here's another one. Uh, text someone you don't like and just wish them a good day. Just wish them a good day. Here's another one tip well. Uh, people who follow Jesus are known for being poor tippers. Tip well. Tip well at a restaurant. Here's another one. Set your alarm to go off randomly through the day and pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Here's another. When you're on social media, don't feel like you have to give your opinion on everything. It's okay to agree to disagree and do it in silence. Last one. Ask what would Jesus do and then take the next step and actually do it. Find ways to put yourself last rather than always being first. So Jesus, as he gives us this vision for what does life in the kingdom of God look like, he starts with this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I really believe that if we were to unleash a community of people who are truly poor in spirit, it could really have a big impact on change this community, which is so broken. And I realize that humility is not something that, is, that we kind of see on the grid, so to speak, but when you see someone who's truly humble, I mean, there's just something attractive about that. So I want you to pursue poverty of spirit. That if we come to God with empty hands, he will fill them. But if we come to God with full hands because they're full with me, myself, and I, he has no place in our lives. Pursue poverty of, experience, of, of spirit and we will begin to access God in a way that we've never had before because we will begin to experience life in the kingdom of God. Life in the here and now. Let me pray for us, Father. Um, we give this this next series over to you as uh, we just get a picture and a vision of what life can look like—a life that you intended it to be for all of us. And it's not something that we wait for; it's something that we can experience right now. And it's a vision for life that, for for many of us, I mean, we this is the last place that we would start poor in spirit. Are you kidding me? But it makes complete sense. Because when we really understand, hey, you're God, and we're not, and we really do need you, we depend on you more than we realize already. God, when we just settle into that and embrace that, we will have access to you in ways that up to now, maybe we've never experienced before. So be with us as we go through this journey. God, we thank you that we can just explore this together. I pray decisions will be made as we go through this. And uh, as a result, we will begin to experience life as you intended it to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Community Church's podcast. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to host you at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and more about our kids' and students' environments, visit us at theridgecc.com. That's theridgecc.com.